Well, good morning, Strong Tower Bible Church. What a wonderful day to worship and praise our great God. The Bible lets us know that it is in the Lord that we live and that we move and that we have our being. Oh my, oh my, thank you, Sister Tammy, for singing one of the classic hymns of the black church. Precious Lord, take my hand. Thank you for taking us back so that we might have the strength to stand where we are and then move forward into the things that God has for us. You know, we're to worship God in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And we thank God for hymns because many times hymns not only give us rich theology, but hymns are often birthed out of great pain. So when you go through the hymnal, there are stories behind the songs because many times the best songs come out of the worst circumstances because God is able to turn our mourning into dancing. He is able to take the ashes and replace it for a crown of beauty. And so those of us, when we go through hard times, that is a time where the spirit of the Lord is ministering to us so that he might minister through us and we can then comfort others with the comfort that we're receiving as we're going through our hard place. And so this song, this hymn was written in 1932 by Minister Thomas Dorsey. And he wrote this hymn after his wife had died giving birth to their infant son. So both his wife and his son died on the same day and under the same trauma of childbirth. And so from that pain, he wrote this song, Precious Lord, take my hand. Lead me on, let me stand. I am tired, I am weak, I am worn. Through the storm, through the night, lead me on to the light. Take my hand, precious Lord, and lead me home. As we said last week, it's one thing to hold on to God's hand, his unchanging hand, but it's also good to know that God is holding on to us with both hands. So be encouraged today if your grip is a little loose, his grip is tight. And so this hymn, Precious Lord, was Dr. Martin Luther King's favorite hymn. As a matter of fact, he would have this hymn sang at many of the civil rights rallies and demonstrations that before they would go out on the streets and demonstrate and protest and march and many times suffer unjustly at the hands of the police, police dogs, water hoses. Um, they would gather in church in small groups and they would worship, they would pray, and they would have this song sang. This was his favorite, so much so that he would turn to gospel music legend Mahalia Jackson and ask her to sing this song on a number of occasions. And on the night that he would be assassinated on April 4th, 1968, um, some of the last words that he uttered as he stood on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, Tennessee, about to head to dinner 
and from dinner to go to a rally, a civil rights rally in the evening. He spoke to one of the men who happened to be a musician and he said, I want you to play Precious Lord for me tonight and I want you to make it real pretty, make it real sweet. And not long after having uttered those words, a shot rang out and Dr. King collapsed on that balcony from the brunt of a rifle shot. And when he was laid away a few days later back in Atlanta in his father's church and in the church he co-pastored, Mahalia Jackson was asked to come and sing Precious Lord one last time for Dr. King. So this song is full of rich tradition and heritage in the African-American church. And I also find it um, ironic that when Mahalia Jackson died, Aretha Franklin sang, Precious Lord, take my hand at her funeral. Does anybody here need the Lord to take your hand now? He stands ready, his arms are stretched wide because if our country needs a hymn right now, if our nation needs a song right now, if black America needs to hear a spiritual song right now, it would be precious Lord, take my hand. This past Thursday, brother George Floyd was finally laid to rest. And before they dismissed his family from the funeral service, they had everyone stand. And everyone stood in silence for eight minutes and 46 seconds to commemorate the time that Mr. Floyd stayed down on his face with his hands handcuffed behind his back and a knee in his neck for eight minutes and 46 seconds. Yes, precious Lord, take my hand, lead me on and let me stand. You see, sometimes it's hard to follow Jesus when he leads you down a rough road. Yes, yes, yes. Uh, you know, the Lord is our shepherd. We shall not want. He leads us to green pastures. He leads us beside still waters. And when the Lord is leading us to places like that, we have no complaints whatsoever. But God knows, the, the good shepherd knows that life is not always green pastures and still waters. Sometimes the shepherd must lead us through valleys that are dangerous. Valleys that are the shadow of death because that is life as well. And when we come to John chapter 21, would you please turn to John chapter 21? Jesus told Peter that he was going to lead him somewhere. That he was going to lead him first into a place of fruitful ministry. But he would also lead him to a place through the valley of the shadow of death. So John chapter 21, verse 18. Jesus said to Peter, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you and carry you where you do not wish. 
This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he said to him, follow me. So Strong Tower, I want to preach a message this morning entitled, Trust Me When I Say What You Don't Expect to Hear. Trust me when I say, when God says what you don't expect to hear. Because I'm here to let you know that Peter didn't expect to hear that that day. Jesus prophesied to Peter. He gave Peter a word about his future. A word unknown to Peter, but a word known to God. The one who orders our steps. The one who ordains our destiny. The one who's marked out every one of our steps and written every one of our days in his book. After telling Peter that you're going to feed my sheep and you're going to feed my lambs. In other words, your ministry is going to be fruitful. I am restoring you from having denied me. I'm not through with you. I'm not done with you. Uh, one bad night does not disqualify you from ministry. My grace is sufficient for you. So I'm going to go straight to Peter and, I, and I'm going to affirm you three times for the three times you denied me. So Jesus in a post-resurrection appearance with the disciples who are out fishing and they can't find any fish but there's someone on the shore who tells them to cast the net on the other side and, and fish just jump into the net. And it was John who said to Peter, it's the Lord. And Peter jumps into the water and does his best uh, Johnny Weissmeller imitation to get to the shore in order to be with Jesus. And when Jesus, when, when Peter gets there and the other disciples get there, Jesus has prepared breakfast for them. And he feeds them. But then he also pulls Peter aside to minister to the leader of the twelve. And he says to Peter, I want you to feed my lambs. I want you to feed my sheep. I want you to feed my sheep. So he commissions his ministry and he says, Peter, feed them. Uh, you will have sheep, you will have lambs to feed in ministry. But Jesus just does not stay there in talking about the positive things of life in ministry. He makes a sharp right and he then says to Peter, as we read in verses 18 and 19, that you're going to die. You will go from a fruitful ministry to a fateful martyrdom. Now, when it comes to words of prophecy, we all love positive words of prophecy that we're going to be blessed and we're going to see a harvest and we're going to be healthy and we're going to be wealthy and wise. People love prophecies like that. But not too many people give words of prophecy that speak of negativity and even death and Fewer people enjoy receiving prophecies from folks like that. You know, the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians 5 that we ought to test prophecies. 
Now, as believers, we rely primarily on the prophecy of Scripture. But every now and then, God may send an old seasoned saint your way with a specific prophetic word in his or her mouth to give to you about your future. Yes, we walk by faith and not by sight, but every now and then, God may raise someone up to give you a word. And if that happens, test that spirit with the sword or the word of the spirit. Rely more on the Bible than you do that prophecy. But every now and then, God says, I'm going to give you a prophetic word. And when it happens, test it and do not despise it. Oh, where are the prophets who say hard things? Where are the prophets who say difficult things to the people of God? Where are the prophets who could have told us months ago that Corona was coming? Where are the prophets who could have told us months ago that we would see racism strike this country in ways that we haven't seen in recent days? But God has a word and Jesus had a word that Peter did not expect to hear that day. And so I've got two points I want to share with you. And the first point is that Peter initially struggled with the Lord's prophecy. He initially struggled when he heard this prophecy. And someone would say, Pastor Chris, how do you know that Peter would struggle with this prophecy? Well, let me go back into verse 18. Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, when you were younger, you girded yourself and walked where you wished. So when you were young, Jesus is saying, you just dressed yourself and you went out without a care in the world. But when you get older, someone else is going to dress you. It says, but when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will gird you or dress you and carry you where you do not wish. And so Jesus is prophesying that Peter is going to be dressed for crucifixion. No longer dressing himself as a man going out to work or even younger as a teenager or as a boy who would just get up and go out and go fishing or do whatever he wished along the countryside. But Jesus says, when you get older in the future, they're going to dress you. They're going to put clothes on you the way they put on me, a purple robe and a crown of thorns. In other words, you're going to lose your freedom. You're going to lose your power. It's going to be taken away from you. And they're going to stretch your hands out, implying that Peter would be crucified by or, or die by crucifixion. And according to church history, that in fact happened, that in Rome, Peter was crucified. But being as impetuous as he was, he said, please do not crucify me right side up because of that. I am not worthy for my Lord died that way. Crucify me upside down. And they honored his wishes and he was crucified upside down. And history says a spike was driven through his forehead. So Peter was given a hard word about his future. And he initially struggled with it because I see in verse 20. The Bible says, then Peter turning around, turning around from what? From following Jesus. They're walking and they're talking. Jesus closes verse 19 by saying, follow me. I just gave you a hard word. I just gave you a word that you would become a martyr, that you would die by crucifixion. 
Because remember, you did say that you would die for me. I heard you say that, and this is the answer to your prayers. You denied me three times, uh, three days ago. But I still remember what you said you would do, what you wanted to do. You said you would lay down your life for me. And yes, that is part of my will for your life. Follow me. Even to death. Even to martyrdom. And so as they are walking and talking, Peter turns around. He saw the disciple whom Jesus loved. That's John following who also had leaned on his breast at the supper and said, Lord, who is the one who betrays you? Peter, seeing him, says to Jesus, but Lord, what about this man? You see, he had been given his marching orders. And as he is doing his best to follow Jesus in that moment with this unexpected prophetic word and revelation, he's doing his best to obey the master and not rely on his feelings or lean on his own understanding. It's a tough word that he just got. He's doing his best to march it out and follow Jesus in this one-on-one -on -one personal conversation. But nosy John is close by. And he's following as Jesus is walking and talking to Peter. You see, Peter and John had this kind of relationship where they were brothers, but they were also healthily competitive with one another. They hung out a lot together. Um, we read in the Bible how when Jesus sent out the disciples two by two, it's a strong chance that Peter and John went two by two because later in the book of Acts, you find the two of them ministering together in the temple and going into Samaria together. So it's not far-fetched to think that they weren't side-by-side -side ministry partners. And when Jesus had risen from the dead and the women came and told the disciples, the Bible says that it was Peter and John who ran to the tomb. The Bible says that uh, 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 Peter... Uh, John outran Peter. And when John got to the tomb, he did not go in. But Peter, who was not as fleet of feet, he got there after John, but he barged on into the tomb because once again, that's his nature. He's a maverick. The Lord loves mavericks and uh, wild folks and people who aren't afraid to express themselves. Some of us are a lot more conservative. We're a lot more thoughtful, but then some of us are impetuous like Peter. And so these two guys had a relationship when they're in the upper room and Jesus is talking about who is going to betray him. Peter and John are sitting so close that Peter motions to John, who is leaning on Jesus' breast to find out who Jesus is talking about. So these two men, they had a healthy, competitive relationship. And that's men, if we're honest. We love our boys, you know, our homeboys. But man, you know, we're competitive like that. And so I would imagine that John is walking close behind so that Peter doesn't one up him with the master. And he's listening in. What is Jesus saying to Peter? Well, when Peter gets his word and he's trying to follow the Lord, he notices John. And the Bible says he turns around and he sees John. 
And he asked the Lord, okay, what about him? You just gave me this hard word, this word that leads to my death. What about my friend? What's going to happen to him? Is he going to die like this too? I would expect so if I'm going out like this. What about him? And the Lord had to say to Peter, what is that to you? He said that in verse 22, what is that to you? You follow me. In other words, that's none of your business. What I do with him. Here's a great lesson for all of us. God shows no respecter of persons among his children. But God does. He is not entitled to giving the same assignment to each one of his children. He gives each one of us a different assignment. And so God has no favorites. We're all his favorite, if you will. But he gives each one of us a different lane, a different assignment. And Peter had a different assignment from John. And Jesus had to say, don't worry about John. Focus on me. Because when you turned around, you took your eyes off me. Right now, you got to keep your eyes on me. You got to follow me because whenever you take your eyes off me, you get into trouble. You remember when Jesus came to them walking on the water during the storm and the disciples were afraid, but it was Peter who said, Lord, if that's you, permit me to come out on the water. And Jesus said, come on. And Peter began to walk on water. But you know the rest of the story because of the wind and the waves that were contrary. He began to look at them and he took his eyes off of Jesus and the Bible says he began to sink. Very simple message, but very hard to live by many times that when we take our eyes off Jesus, when we sink, when we keep our eyes on Jesus, we can do the impossible. We can not only walk with him, but we can walk over things that we never thought were possible in our relationship with God. We can have victory over the waters. But if we take our eyes off Jesus, we sink. And Peter turned. And in a sense, he sank emotionally. He sank when he looked more at, Peter, at John and less at Jesus. Which is why Jesus doubles up on the follow me commandment, which is in the present imperative uh, of the Greek, which means follow me. And keep on following me. It's a command and keep on doing it. He said it to him in verse 19. But now in verse 22, he said, you follow me. So let's make this specific, Peter. Don't worry about John. If I want him to hang around until I return, that's none of your business. You, 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 you follow me. Why? Because you will answer to me. John will answer to me. You won't answer for him. He won't answer for you. You will answer to me. So you follow me. Keep your eyes on me. Because when you take your eyes off me, that's when you sink and when you go astray. There was a boy who was told to till a field. And his father said to his son, I, I want you to till straight lines in this field. 
And so when I come back, I expect for this field to be tilled with straight lines up and down this field. Well, the boy said, Father, I really don't know how to till a straight line. How do I do that? I, I feel like I'm going to be crooked. And the father says, well, what you do is you set your eyes on something in the distance and walk towards it and you will till a straight line. And so he said, like that tree that's out there, you can put your eyes on that tree and walk towards the tree or that rock that's sitting out there, that big rock. You can put your eyes on the rock and just walk straight towards it and you will till straight lines. So the father says, you understand? The boy said, yeah, yeah yes, dad, I do. And, and so the father says, I expect this to be done when I get back. Well, three hours later, the father returned. And rather than finding straight lines on the field, man, there were zigzags and figure eights and circles and all kinds of things in that field. And the father called his son and said, son, what, what happened? I, I thought I told you to plow straight lines in this field. What happened? Didn't, didn't you look at something in the distance like I told you? And the son said, yeah, I did. The dad said, well, what did you look at? Did you look at that tree? No. Did you look at that rock? No. I looked at that cow. Unfortunately, the cow kept moving. When the cow went left, I went left. When the cow went right, I went right. And I just stopped by here today to tell you, don't you look at a cow. <laughs> because they'll take you to the right or to the left. You Keep your eye on the tree, that old rugged cross. Keep your eye on the rock, the rock of ages. Don't look to the right or to the left. So might we all in a fresh way keep our eyes on Jesus and walk by faith, even if he gives us an assignment that we do not expect to hear. He tells us something that is hard to understand and accept. But I got good news for you. Peter is eventually going to accept that assignment. But before I go to point number two, I'm reminded of a scene in the movie Risen, which speaks of the conversion of a Roman soldier when he meets the resurrected Jesus. It's a fictional story, but it's based on, you know, scriptural study because the centurion was there at the cross and was converted. And so this story just talks about a Roman soldier who met Jesus, the Hebrew, the resurrected Hebrew, and was saved. And there's a scene in the movie when Jesus comes and he meets with the disciples after the resurrection. They, they remake or, or reenact John 21. And they have the whole fishing scene and the guys catching the fish and coming to shore. And the character who played Jesus goes to the character who played Simon Peter. And the two of them take a walk. And as they're taking a walk, you can't hear what is being said. But being Bible readers, you know that what's being said are the verses we just read in John 21, that Peter would not only go through a blessed ministry of feeding the lambs and sheep, but he would also go through a stressed moment of laying his life down by crucifixion. And when he hears the news, he collapses into the arms of Jesus because that's a hard word to hear. 
Because we know that when Jesus prophesies, he does not lie. Everything he says is going to come to pass. So Peter knew that there was no getting around this. That I'm going to die as an old man by crucifixion. Well, secondly and finally, Peter eventually, eventually embraced the Lord's prophecy. Acts chapter 12, beginning at verse 1. Several years later, and the Bible says, Now about that time, Herod the king stretched out his hand to harass some from the church. Then he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And because he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded further to seize Peter also. Now, it was during the days of unleavened bread. So when he had arrested him, he put him in prison and delivered him to four squads of soldiers to keep him, intending to bring him before the people after Passover. Verse five, Peter was therefore kept in prison, but constant prayer was offered to God for him by the church. And when Herod was about to bring him out that night, Peter was sleeping bound with two chains between two soldiers and the guards before the door were keeping the prison. Now behold, an angel of the Lord stood by him and a light shone in the prison and he struck Peter on the side and raised him up saying, arise quickly and his chains fell off his hands. So here Peter is the night before his execution. The night before he's about to join John, if you will, uh, uh, John's brother James, excuse me, who had just had his head cut off by the sword of Herod. Peter is next, but he's sleeping. And I wonder what you would be doing, what I would be doing on the night before the day that we die. On the night before the day that we die a violent death in front of the Jews. Would we have enough peace to go asleep? Well, let me tell you something. We always talk about Philippians 4 having this peace that surpasses understanding. Well, Peter had that peace. He was sleeping in heavenly peace just like baby Jesus did. How could he sleep on a night like that? Could it be? That he had just accepted the will and the word of God. That it was his time. And he knew that to be absent from the body would be to be present with Jesus. It was time to go. And he was ready to go. So maybe he was sleeping because he was ready. You do know that there are saints who are ready to go. That they know that they finished their race. They kept the faith they're ready to go and receive their crown and meet Jesus for Peter to see Jesus again for our folks to see Jesus for the first time. Some people are just ready. But I don't think that's what it was. I think he could sleep on the night of his resurrection because he was believing in the word of God and not putting his fate in the hands of men. What do you mean, pastor? Well, remember, Jesus said, you're going to die. When you're old, he's not old in Acts chapter 12. Jesus said, you're going to die by crucifixion. They're beheading folks in Acts 12. So Peter could rest on the promises, the, the prophecy of Jesus. 
The prophecy that he initially could not receive. But now he's at a place where he is matured. He has grown in his faith. And he's like, mm -mm, I'm not going out like this. I'm young and y'all cutting off heads. I'm going to die when I'm old and by crucifixion. And the word of Jesus will not be broken. So I'm getting out of this one way or another. So he's sleeping with all of these guards around. He's sleeping. You know you at peace when you can sleep while other people are awake. <laughs> he's not even got one eye open and one eye closed. He's so sleep. That when the angel comes and light comes in the room, he still doesn't wake up. <laughs> the angel has to shake him to wake him up. Might God give us this kind of peace that we can sleep at night. When we have accepted and even embraced what God has for us. And it's based on what God says to us from his word. Trust him and believe his word. So Peter is sleeping. He somehow embraced. He's no longer afraid to die. Because once we lose our fear of death, that's when living really begins. And as Christians, we, we know that death is something we've never experienced. So it's unknown to us. And we can talk brave. I hope we're talking at least by faith. To say, you know what, I don't need to fear death. It's the passageway into glory. It has no sting. It has no victory. So whether it's my death or the death of my loved ones, I don't need to fear it or give it more power than it deserves because Jesus defeated it. And when you believe in him, you'll never die. John eleven twenty five. You just pass over. So Peter is chilling. On the promises of God. But not only that. Let, let's now go to 2 Peter chapter 1. Now Peter is older. Now Peter has a premonition. That he's coming to the end of his race. I'll begin reading in verse 12. 2 Peter chapter 1. For this reason I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things. Though you know and are established in the present truth. Yes, I think it is right as long as I am in this tent or this body to stir you up by reminding you, knowing that shortly I must put off my tent just as our Lord Jesus Christ showed me. Moreover, I will be careful to ensure that you always have a reminder of these things after my decease. So he said, hey, this is it. I'm coming to the end. I know it. I want it. I'm at peace with it. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Because precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. Peter is like, man, again, I fought the good fight. I've done all that I was supposed to do for the Lord. And I'm ready to die by crucifixion. Y'all come on and dress me. Get me ready. Because death won't take my joy of seeing my Jesus again. Now, the reason why I believe he could have this mindset. Don't you miss this. Don't you miss this. The reason why I believe he can have this kind of a mindset. When he once initially rejected or did not accept nor expect the prophetic word that you're going to die this way. The reason why I believe he could come and embrace this word 
and be ready to go now? Is because what Jesus said in John chapter 21, I go back to John 21, I go to verse 19. This he spoke signifying by what death he would glorify God. So Jesus is saying it's not just some death that's going to be gruesome. This is an avenue for you to glorify God or to shine light on God so that people can see God through how you die. You're going to bring glory, honor to God by how you die a violent death. Peter did not embrace that at first. He struggled with that. But as he grew, he said, not only do I embrace it, I'm ready for it because through my death, I get to put God on display. You find out where you are when you can honor God and put God on display when you're about to die. I saw that with my own father, Harold Williamson. As he had both of his legs amputated, he had a finger amputated. They were talking about taking his hand. My dad suffered from diabetes, but he always had this joy. And though his outward man was wasting away, his inward man had this strength and this power. I saw it myself. And so I stopped praying, Lord, heal him. I, I stopped praying that. And I started praying, Lord, receive him. Because where he's going is far better than where he is. There's no more sickness, no more sorrow. He's going to get his legs back. He's going to get a brand new body. I stopped praying, Lord, heal him. And I started praying, Lord, receive my daddy. Because I saw his attitude. He was ready. He loved Jesus. I saw it again with a man named Ken Hutcherson. A pastor out in Seattle. Antioch Bible Church. Who planted many seeds in my life early on. He was a man who was instrumental in discipling Elder Sherman Smith. And when he had been diagnosed with cancer. He went on record as saying. Cancer is my pastor. In other words. God allowed cancer to come into his body through God's holy, good, righteous, and loving fingers. Because Ken knew, I wouldn't get this if God didn't allow this. And the same God who allowed it is the same God who is going to use it. So I'm going to glorify him. And you could almost hear Paul coming through him constantly. God will be magnified in my body, whether by life or death, whether by cancer or being healed by cancer. And I saw a faith coming out of this man in his final days that rocked me. He was putting God on display by how he suffered before dying. Peter was ready to go. My daddy was ready to go. Hutch was ready to go. And it makes those of us who are here in the land of the dying to say, man, I can't wait to go to the land of the living. But until that time, to live is Christ. To die is gain, but to live is Christ. And since I don't know when I'm going to die, let this day be a day where I live for Jesus. And I enjoy Jesus. And I put Jesus on display. Or if you're suffering with something in your body, and your body is deteriorating slowly towards death. Start looking for ways to put Jesus on display.
I believe the Holy Spirit kicks in in these moments like never before and gives us songs and gives us scripture even if we don't read the Bible things that we stored away a long time ago the Spirit begins to work Peter the one who once struggled is now embracing his assignment my God I talk a lot about Martin Luther King because he's a hero of mine and He knew based on his ministry that death was imminent and death would probably be violent. He talked about his death all the time. And when he went to Memphis on April 3rd, 1968, to preach at Mason Temple, not knowing that it would be his last sermon that he would ever preach. In an impromptu moment with no notes, he spoke for over an hour. He wasn't even going to come that night because he was battling a cold. But because the people were assembled and wanting to hear him, they sent back to the Lorraine Motel to bring him to the gathering. And he got up and he spoke in his sickly body. But you would never know it because the Spirit of God empowered him. And he spoke prophetically that night by saying, I've gone to the mountaintop and I've seen the promised land. I I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. And the very next day he would die and go to heaven's promised land. And he left us behind here to move the nation, especially black people, into an, an American promised land where everyone is treated equally and fairly. But he received so many death threats throughout his ministry that once he started embracing the inevitable, embracing his mission, which included death, he had power, he had a strength, he had a joy that the world could not take away. And Andrew Young, who was one of his assistants during that time, He said that on that night that Dr. King preached, it was as if he preached the fear of death off of himself. That was no one but the Holy Spirit who gave him the anointing in that moment. When we lose our fear of death, that's when life really begins. You know, there have been assignments in my life that Jesus gave me that I didn't want initially. And they didn't even involve death. I'll say it again. There were assignments that Jesus gave me that I didn't want. And those assignments didn't even involve death. So I can't imagine what I would have done had I heard what Peter heard that day. But I do remember hearing the Lord say to me, go to a Christian university. I didn't want to go to a Christian university. God spoke to me through my dad to go to a Christian university. I didn't want to go. I was too cool for that in high school. So I initially rejected that word. But I went reluctantly into that word. And once I embraced that season, God allowed me to meet the woman who would be my wife. When I embraced what the Lord had for me in that Christian university, God called me to preach his word. I met friends who would be my friends for life. And and then God led me to Nashville, which I did not want to come to. I didn't want this assignment. I didn't want to come to country town. 
I didn't want to come to Hehawville. I fought it. I initially didn't embrace it, but I came reluctantly. And over time, my, my attitude adjusted to this place to the point where this is my home. I love Nashville. So glad God sent me here. But at first, <clears throat> has God given you an assignment that you don't like, you don't want, you didn't expect? I'm here to tell you, adjust your attitude. Because he's not going to change his will. You must change yours. And once you change and submit to what he has for you, he will blow your mind. I didn't want to be a pastor. I didn't want to plant a church. I didn't want to plant a multiracial church. But once I embraced his word for me, once I submitted my will to his, oh boy, this has been the best ride of my life. Thank God I didn't say no. If God is leading you to another city, don't fight him. If God is calling you to go to the mission field, don't resist him. If God is telling you to go back to school or to go forward in higher education, don't question him. If God is telling you to join this church, don't fight him. If God is calling you to plant a church, honor him. Embrace what he has. It'll go better with you that way. Because guess what? Just like Peter, you were built for the hard times that will come when you embrace the assignment. Just because you embrace the assignment doesn't take away the hard things that are a part of it. Because those things, as you walk through them, you will give glory to God all the way until he takes you home. He built you for this assignment. He built you to walk in this path, to follow him through it. And that's the good news. He won't tell you to go somewhere that he won't lead you there first. Follow me. He didn't say go. He said, follow me. Peter, I know you're going to this cross, but I'm going there ahead of you. Follow me there. And as long as Jesus is there, the one who said, come out here in the water because I'm here. The one who says, come on, follow me to the cross. I'll go. But you were built for this. Yes, you were. The story is told of a ship that was out in sea. And a horrible torrential storm came and tossed that ship back and forth. So much so that the passengers got sick. And began to throw up from nausea. The storm carried on and carried on and carried on. That the passengers who were sick now began to think they were going to die. The crew who had been in many storms and, and who had been trained for moments like this. They panicked and they got sick and they thought they were going to die. So the passengers and the crew. They're ballistic. They're panicking. But everybody is off the meter except the captain. The captain is calm during the storm. The captain is steady and at peace during this unheard of, never experienced before storm. So the first mate came to the captain and said, Captain, why aren't you panicking? Captain. 
captain? Why aren't you afraid? Captain, why aren't you concerned about your life, our lives, and the lives of the passengers? Captain, how can you hold it together in a time like this? The captain calmly looked at the first mate and he said, the reason why I'm not afraid, the reason why I'm not panicking, is because I understand how this ship was built. And this ship was built with this storm in mind. You've been built for the storm that you're going through right now. The master built you to endure what you're going through right now. To accept and embrace the assignment. The ones you initially did not want any part of. He built you for where you're sailing right now. He's on that ship with you. He is in you. And he's the captain of your salvation. Trust him. Father, thank you for this word. Encourage your people with it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.